Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hey Makers, welcome to Maker Mom Podcast in the 100th episode. Whew. Seriously, don't think I really actually thought I would get to 100 episodes when I started the podcast um, almost two years ago. It'll be two years this month, so super stoked, super excited to have hit this milestone and also super excited that this year, uh, you know, just back in July, I started the Wonder Women series as well as part of the podcast, enjoying that so much. And getting to meet so many more just phenomenal makers. So I just want to give a big thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. Thank you so very much um, for all of your messages you send me and words of encouragement you give me to keep going. And I really appreciate it. And I really do enjoy so, so much uh, helping to share the stories of all of these amazing women and non-binary folks uh, with with all of you who listen. So thank you. For this phenomenal 100th episode, we have Lauren of Rasp and File Designs. Um, I only more recently found Lauren, but really enjoy the work that she's um, making and that she's sharing out on social media. So I was excited when I uh, finally had a chance to work out a time to interview her. Uh, If she's listening to the episode, she will understand that joke because I think we ended up rescheduling like three times all on me for the most part. So um, I appreciate her patience and hanging in there with me. Anyways, uh, before we hop into the episode though, a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much Sven of Dwarf Sized Workshop, Rachel of Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie of ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaimed Living Store, Brandy, Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support of the podcast and helping me to now produce two episodes a week. It's greatly appreciated. And I have a super duper surprise for all of you patrons. So make sure you hang out and listen to the end of the episode and I will tell you what that surprise is. All right, with no further ado, here is Lauren of Rasp and File Designs. All right, well, since you don't uh, really have any other questions, then we can get started if you want to just kind of tell people who you are. All right, Um, so I'm Lauren Matthews, um, uh, primarily based out of Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, sort of like that that apex of, of the, the DC metro area. Um, and um, I started Rasp and File Designs unofficially like five years ago, more officially like three years ago. Um, and I've been doing woodworking um, for about that long. Um, I could probably go back to like when I was a kid and doing stuff, but like as an adult for about the past five years. Um, and married uh, two kids and just trying to manage it all and a full-time job and, and running a woodworking business. So, um, you know, sort of that's who I am. All right. Well, you just like led into the perfect segue for me because I like to talk about your childhood. Where'd you grow right. up and uh, what kind of things were you into? Sure. Um, I was a military kid. I grew up everywhere it's so funny because people will be like oh you know I'm going home for the summer and I'm like oh I don't really have 
I don't have that. You know, so uh, military kid, grew up, um, both parents were in the military, moved around every two years until I was about 16. Um, but kind of grew up all over where, every, everywhere, Texas, Germany, England, lived in Maryland, lived in Texas twice, Virginia, um, you know, pretty much anywhere that you can find a, an Air Force base. My parents are generally moving around to. Um, and I was really into sports, really into sports, really into art. So I love to draw. Um, I like to paint when I was younger. Um, but it was one of those things where if you like don't do it a lot and you stop doing it, then you kind of, you can kind of lose some of the, the technique. So I've always been kind of artistic in that sense. And that I always had some kind of art thing that I was interested in. And, um, and I remember back in, oh my goodness, I must've been in elementary school or middle school, whenever they have shop class. I don't even think they do shop class anymore, but. Back Depends on where you are in the country, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, back when I had shop class, um, which must've been middle school, I remember being one, the only, the only girl, the only black kid. Um, and they give you a choice. You could either do home ec or you could do shop. And I was like, I want to do shop. I want to build stuff. And so as far back as I can remember, I was like building things, you know, and they were total crap, but <laughs> I was building stuff when I, when I was younger. Um, and then I took a break in between, you know, like school, more sports stuff, did a ton of sports um, and then uh, picked it back up about five years ago. And then I was like, wait a minute. I vaguely remember having done this before. I think I was 12. <laughs> That's kind of like my childhood was really just like moving around a lot, playing sports. And I was pretty active. I was like a multi-sport in school, after school activities. Like I was always busy. Um, and I've kind of just carried that throughout my entire life where I just don't know how to sit down. So, yeah. You're one of those types, huh? That's yeah, that's right. that's my wife. I always give her a hard time as soon as she sits down, she falls asleep. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so I get it. And actually, I've gotten more active the older I've gotten versus when I was younger. But yeah, I had shop class in junior high too. The good mm -hmm. thing about my junior high is, like, everyone was required to take both home ec and shop class. So like. You know, it wasn't about a choice, um, yeah. but I still hated home ec. Like I hated it, you know, enough that to this day, I'm still like sewing. No, I am not going to sew. <laughs> uh, put a power tool in my hand on the other hand and I'm good to go. I do remember eventually taking home ec, which may have been like the other half of the year. Mm -hmm. And I hated the sewing. We had to make a little pillow. <laughs> And I yeah, was, so did we. <laughs> I was like, I'm never sewing anything again. This is awful. What am I ever going to? And I had a cat. And so I made this little pillow and I ended up giving it to the cat and trying to get her to lay her head on the pillow that I'd made in, in home ec. But I was, it was not my thing. No. I, I, much prefer, I would have preferred to do a whole year of shop class than home ec. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same here. I, I attempted to make, and, and maybe this is something that's a common thread for me what I attempted to make for my pillow for home at class was a Tasmanian devil. And mm -hmm. so I remember it because like his little, like his body was fine, but I tried to make like the little legs <laughs> and the little arms and they were just like floppy things off of him. It was horrible. It was oh, that is so great. <laughs> um, so what'd you do post high school? Um, so post high school, well, in high school, I, I actually ended up started working for the government my senior year of high school, like in one of those programs where you're in school for half the day and then mm -hmm. you go a, a job the other half. And the, my, my job the other half was at a, a government agency, um, which is no surprise considering that in this area, all we have are government agencies. So, um, so I did that. And then after high school, I did college for a couple of years, got my associates. Um, but by that point, I'd been kind of working in the government already. So it just seemed like a natural progression to just stay in the government. So I stayed in this area um, because this is where all of the jobs kind of are. And um, after I was done with my associates, I went straight into a government job. And I've been doing that ever since. 
So I've been, yeah. I've been with my agency in particular for 16 years. I think it's 16 years this year. Um, and, and I started there when I was like 19, 19, cause I'll be 35 soon. Um, so yeah, I basically right out of high school and like second year of college, I was like, boom, government. Cause that's what everybody does. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Although I have no plans of, of, uh, of retiring there, but I will, I will stay there for as long as I need to. <laughs> <laughs> um, are your parents still like in that area? as well um, I, uh you mean like in the area like military area or just like general area general area yeah uh, so my mom is here my parents divorced some years ago um and so my mom is still here local she actually works at the same agency as i do uh, <laughs> so, but with covid i never see her because we're supposed to <laughs> right um but yeah she's still in the area my dad is in the philippines um once he retired from the air force he said basically he could go to the philippines and live there on his whole retirement check and never have to work a day in his life. So he decided to, to go there. And so that's where he's been for the past, I don't know, my goodness, almost 10 years. He's okay. been in the Philippines now. Yeah. That's not a terrible place to, uh, to retire to, I can imagine. Um, yeah. yeah. I've never been there, but I, um, through work, I've, uh, made friendships with people from the Philippines and just mm-hmm. from what they've shared. I'm like, it's kind of like, it wouldn't be a terrible place to go visit for sure. Yeah. Um, Every time I've talked to him, he says he loves it. He loves, yeah. it. He loves the people. He loves the culture. Mm-hmm. He loves just being in the Philippines. Like he just, he loves the nature and where he lives and mm-hmm. he's like it's gorgeous. And I'm like, that's awesome. So <laughs> it was definitely the right move for him. Yeah. So you said about five years ago, mm-hmm. kind of when you rediscovered woodworking, um, yeah. what, why, like what drove you to try it out? Was there like a particular project you were working on or wanting to make? Uh, yeah, so um, that, that's exactly what it was. And, and then there was an offshoot um, sort of benefit to it as well. So um, I always loved like, I love art, right? And I love like collecting things when I travel, like well, when we were traveling and um, and I love anything like natural wood. And so I decided, oh man, I want this all natural live edge TV console. Then I went out and I Googled it and I was like, oh, I can't afford that. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to make it. And so there was a, a place out near us called Community Forklift that sells uh, slabs of wood. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll just go buy a slab and I'll make myself a console. Um, now, to be fair, my very first piece that I ever made was, I mean, it, I still have the piece of wood. Like, it had not been planed, mm-hmm. bowed a lot. Um, there's still kind of like bark on it because I didn't get the bark <laughs> off. Um, and it was a beautiful piece of wood that I, I ended up staining which now if I ever saw somebody staining a piece of wood, I'd, I would have been like, no, you cannot do that. <laughs> um, so, but yes, yeah, so I, I went out and I, and I bought these metal legs on Amazon. I mean, like everything was, it was just, it was what I could afford. Right. And I bought a, uh, oh God, what is it? Uh, like a handsaw. Mm-hmm. And that's what I used to cut everything because I couldn't afford a table saw. So I made this TV console and I thought, oh man, this is like, not half bad. Looking back now, it was terrible, but at the time I was like, this is pretty good. And, um, and then I had also realized that, so I, at the time I was suffering from like severe depression. So I was keeping myself in the house, not interacting with people, just not really taking good care of myself. And then I found that I'd realized that when I was working, woodworking and like building and creating, it took me to this headspace that took me out of that place that I was in. And even if it was only momentary, right, for the time that I was mm-hmm. working on a project, it was just this relief that I felt when I was working, like where that, that heaviness wasn't there for that period of time. Um, so that was sort of like the added benefit to the woodworking. So I built this TV console and I'm like, not bad. Okay. Well, let's see what else I can build. So then I just start kind of experimenting around my house and building small things, shelving, trying to figure out um, acquiring more tools, the things I could afford as time went on. Um, and then it was probably about a year and a half later, um, 
you know, you post things to Instagram or your social media and, and I'm posting things. People are like, Hey, could you build me something? And I'm like, well, you know, my stuff is a little shaky, but I can <laughs> try. Um, and so people started to, uh, friends started to reach out mm-hmm. to me and say like, can you build me stuff? And that's how I got into building things for other people. Having really no like business knowledge, right? Like still trying to stumble through that, that part of it as I was going. Um, but I enjoyed the building side. And even if I made no money and at that point I was making negative dollars, um, <laughs> I just enjoyed doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I, I stumbled into it, you know, so many years later from wood shop in middle school. All right. So I have, what was the species of slab that you bought? What that okay. you stained? <laughs> I don't even know what the species was. That's how, that's how little I knew. Um, but I remember it being like a, it, it definitely wasn't a walnut. Um, Cause I, I couldn't have afforded that, but it was something, it, it had like a darker color to it. Okay. And, um, but I remember it finding this and I'll never forget this, the stain called gunstock that I stained in the beginning. I stained everything gunstock. <laughs> Cause I just love the color so much, <laughs> not even realizing that on every different kind of species of wood, like the color shows up a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. It was going to be stained gunstock. And so I remember staining it that color, but I don't remember what the original wood was darker. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that had I kept it that color and then just finished it, it would have brought out this really gorgeous grain pattern in the wood, but I was, I, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It's a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask though, right? Like um, there's there's what's called the woodies out there where it's like nothing but, you know, clear finishes mm-hmm. to put on stuff because of the natural green. And then there's those that, you know, uh, painted furniture type of, um, of group of uh, yeah. people. Um, and like I tend to fall in the middle somewhere. I'm one of those like I love adding color to wood, mm-hmm. but I love the wood grain. So I usually go with like dyes, um, so that it dyes the wood that whatever crazy pop of color I'm looking for. But you still uh-huh. get the the grain of the wood beneath it. Um, I so. Um, one, I'm definitely like, I don't do stains because stains is, uh, lays on top of the wood and then it kind of can obscure that nice grain pattern underneath. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, uh, if you ever follow my stuff, it's like, you'll see like some teal wood and it's like, how is that? You, like, why? You know, and I, I'll get that question a lot. Why would you do that to that piece of wood? And it's like, I don't know, because I'm, I'm weird. I like, uh, <laughs> I liked it. That's, that's right. <laughs> next question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's absolutely. No, I, I definitely, um, and like if somebody wants me to stain something, I'll stain it. Yeah. But I, I'm, I've gotten now more into projects where I'm, um, I used to buy wood in advance and then hope that I had a project that kind of fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I buy wood as the project comes so that I can be like, okay, if this is what you're going for, let me see if I can find you something, right, that is as close to the natural color of the wood. Mm-hmm. but then we can play around with stains and some things and finish mm-hmm. it and go from there. But yeah, no more gunstock, no more gunstock. Cause it's like brightish. It's like, it's like a reddish. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even, <laughs> but I, I just remember staining everything that color and being like, damn, that's so cool. And, uh, I remember one time, actually one time I stained a walnut slab for somebody and I stained it. And when I look back now, I was a walnut slab and it was beautiful. And I was like, I'm going to stain it. And when I, when I think back to that day, I was like, wow, I really did that. <laughs> I really paid money for that, made no money on the project and then stained it. I'm like, shit. So uh, I've come, I've come quite a ways. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also, I like, I just appreciate whatever people do that works for them, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I just love watching other makers make things because I just feel inspired by the stuff that they make. And I'm like, right. That's, that's really cool. Right. And then it makes me want to go build something. When you, th- so that first project, I mean, speaking of watching other makers, were you like doing any YouTubes or anything to figure out even how to like attach the metal legs 
to the wood slab. I mean, there's, you know, it's not as necessarily intuitive. Um, I remember some of my first projects that I did in college. Yeah, I'm surprised they ever even stood. Um, <laughs> to be honest, like I look back at it now and I'm like, wow, what was I thinking? Um, but it's not as intuitive as some people would think to be able to connect like legs to a top. So, oh, yeah. you know, were you like doing research online or were you just kind of like see, uh, throwing things at the wall and seeing if it stuck type thing? A, a little bit of both or a lot of bit of both, actually. <laughs> I, um, I like to say that I graduated from the University of YouTube. Because that's where, I, you know, there was so much free and helpful information out there from other makers who were like, here's how to use a sander. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and here are the grits of sandpaper you should probably go through as you're getting up to your finishing. Right. And like all these things that I just had no idea about. Um, and so between YouTube and finding random woodworking articles online, like stuff that was went back years. Right. But was still really good, strong, useful information. Um, I utilized a lot of that to just kind of figure out what I was doing and I still fumbled my way through it because I would be so excited to build something that I'd fast forward through a YouTube video or, you know, kind of skim through an article and then I'd miss some really key detail and then I'd go and I'd, uh, and I'd mess something up and I'd be like, oh, I probably should have watched that whole video. And I should have avoided this. So like even like down to not even using the right kind of screws, right? So I'd attach a leg with a screw mm -hmm. and then the leg would break off because the screw was broken, the screw broke. And like, in my mind, I'm like, all screws are created equal. No, well, no, not exactly. Right. Um, so yeah, I learned a lot from, <laughs> I learned a lot from, from YouTube and watching a lot of those makers and Instagram. People would post videos on Instagram. I would just watch them. And sometimes I'd watch them multiple times to catch different pieces that I missed in the video. And that's pretty much how I learned to do everything. Um, Cause out here, there are no, there are no classes. Mm -hmm. um, maker at the time, maker workshops were few and far between. Um, and so there just weren't really spaces for me to go and, and learn that stuff. Did you, uh, did you do slash, do you have any like makers that are kind of like your go-to um, in those spaces on YouTube and Instagram to like, Oh um, yeah. Learn from. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've got a whole host of, of makers that I subscribe, that I've sub uh, subscribed to on YouTube. So I'll get notifications when they post things, um, and post videos and I'll just go and I'll watch their videos right? and I'll, I'll go through their entire catalog or whatever new thing they're posting. And then I'll look at people that they reference in their videos. Like, Oh, if you're interested in an epoxy or you're interested in doing this with resin or whatever, you should go check out so-and-so and then I'll just kind of go from maker to maker on YouTube. Um, but I definitely got like my set of people that if I'm like, man, I don't really understand how to do a dovetail. Uh, I know who, I know whose video I'll watch cause that's probably the best person for that. Um, and that's what I, I kind of do every night is just kind of watch, walk or watch YouTube and kind of look for more, um, more comp, more complex and more complicated techniques that I can try out when I have time. Mm hmm. So are, are you so you're predominantly like making pieces for other people still? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, how are those people finding you? Uh, typically through Instagram. Okay. Um, locally, like word of mouth. So if I make something for somebody, then they'll let another person know. But I post on my Facebook, I post on Instagram. Um, I've got a website, although people typically don't get to the website unless they've found me through some other avenue. Um, and then a while back, I used to post on Nextdoor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, say, hey, if anybody needs woodworking, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the neighborhood and, you know, message me. Mm -hmm. So I've had people find me through that, through Nextdoor. Um, but typically it's like social media, Instagram, sometimes Facebook. I think a lot of people really, because Instagram is easy. You can click on somebody's profile. You can click on a link within their profile. You can send them a message and it's, you know, it's kind of like instant, instant out of satisfaction in terms of reaching out to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I might direct them to the website to say, Hey, if you're interested in seeing what else I've built, go here. Right. Right. Um, 
how does this interact with your family? You know, how's this kind of side hustle interact with your family? <laughs> like, what do your kids think about it? You know, what your are you getting um, any kind of like honeydew list from? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So my my wife is uh, initially when we met, she's like, "This is really cool, right? Like, you do this woodworking thing," and I, I really like that. And then as time went on, right, and as I get more busy with projects, and she's like, oh, "I really know that I." like this woodworking thing because now like my free time in the evenings I'm spent doing business stuff or sending out invoices or doing drawings and making plans or even or even like working on builds um so someday she's like this is great because you're building something for me um other day she's like this is not so great because you're outside again and it's 9 p.m and you know we all got to go to bed um, and you're still running a table saw at 9 p.m. at night, you know, in, in the driveway. Um, but but she's usually, she's pretty good about it. Um, she benefits from from it because I end up building stuff. Like, I try to, like, build something for the house in between projects to kind of level, you know, balance it out. Um, but, uh, but my, I mean, my whole family is really supportive. I've got a 13-year-old who... Is a typical 13 year old and it could couldn't care less what any <laughs> she is in her room she is you know door closed like mm-hmm. don't talk to me i'm too cool for any of you right like so typical 13 year old um but my four-year-old is soon to be five-year-old is starting to get more interested and so she's asked me like several times like what are you doing and i'm outside and, and i'll tell her that i'm building and she'll be like, okay, right? And she'll go back in the house. And then she'll come back out and she'll be like, can I touch that? And it'll be like a tool. And I'm yeah. like, you can touch it, but don't touch that part. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, she's like, okay. All right. So then she goes back in the house. Um, but the other night I was working on something in the house and she came up to me and she was like, girls can build stuff. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> girls can do anything they want to do. Right. Like, they can build, they can break things down. Like, you know, there's, there's not, I'm like trying to, trying to show my kids that there's not, you know, a girl way to do things mm-hmm. or boys do this and girls do that. Um, and trying to tell them like, if you want to build a house, you can build a house, right? As long as you got the tools and the know-how and the safety, like go and build it. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I think my, my youngest is becoming more interested in like, how do you do that? Can I, can I like, you know, use the drill? Um, and so I'm thinking about giving her like little side projects that she can work on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have anything that I'm working on. Yeah. It allows her to kind of get, be out there with me and, and, and do something. So with the exception of my teenager, who is like typical teenager, um, they're all very supportive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I find the same thing. My, my oldest doesn't really have any interest um, unless it's putting together a list of like request items and <laughs> and my youngest is getting more and more interested so like she's ran the drill on a couple mm-hmm. things you know she'll ask if she can help and if it's something safe you know that I feel she's okay helping with I'll let her I'll let her do it if I'm working from home um, but and we've gotten some of those um, I don't know if you have more Home Depot or Lowe's in the area, but like Lowe's has those like prepackaged build kits of things for kids. And so I'll pick up those on occasion and just build that together. Yeah. Um, Like we did a castle, like a little tiny castle project, you know, and it's pretty nice because they come, it's all like just kind of basswood stuff, but with like pre-drilled things for hammering together. So it's pretty simple to put together, but like just getting her in it and you know letting her pound the nails in and stuff like that and she's super happy with getting to to do that and then um doing projects at her preschool so that she can walk around and be like well my mommy's a woodworker and she built this and she built that you know and um, that's always so fun to see them get like excited about what you do because my day job stuff is not exciting it puts me in front of a in front of a computer and that's not like you know super mm-hmm. exciting stuff to explain to a kid <laughs> um 
So what is your kind of shop space that you get to work with? Uh, it is a carport. Okay. So we, um, we previously were renting a place that had a garage. So I had like a bit of space to work out of, but we were closer to Baltimore and Baltimore had this awesome called open works. Baltimore had this awesome maker space, huge work. Um, you know, huge, uh, woodworking shop, with like massive state of the art dust collection, right? All the tools. It was amazing. And then we moved out of the area cause we needed to be closer to my job cause my commute was just too far. So we ended up finding a house that did not have a garage, but had everything else that we needed. And so I gave up the opportunity to have like a working space, but we got, you know, sort of all the other things that we kind of wanted in a house. So what we have instead is a carport. So I work underneath the carport and uh, say so you're East coast, which means you have winter. So we how do you do have winter? We <laughs> have winter. How's that work with a carport? Uh, I, below I, zero temperatures. <laughs> I have not figured out how I'm going to work in the carport this winter. Um, I'm generally okay. Like working in, into the cold up into a point. Right. Um, but I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go winter. Um, I talked to my wife about, um, what is it? Enclosing the sides yeah. of the carport. Um, even if we leave like the front open where you actually pull the car in, like at least enclosing the sides so that when that wind blows through, it's not, right. as, not as jarring. Yeah. Um, so she's like, ah, and I'm like, <laughs> I have no garage. I have no workshop. <laughs> This is my workshop, you know. So. Hey, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by Tool Mom and Company, or some of you know her as Tool Mom Bonnie. Uh, she has all kinds of tool related merchandise, of gifts and clothing for all ages and genders available at Tool Mom Store. Com. I have two of the coffee mugs. One says go girl and it has a circular saw with flames coming off the back which is super sweet. And then the other one is the definition of a tool chick which just makes you feel kind of badass when you're drinking out of it. So if you are in the market especially as we're getting close to Christmas for any tool related merchandise be that gifts or clothing make sure you head on over to toolmomstore.com and extra bonus you can receive 20% off at checkout if you use the coupon code makermom all right let's jump back into the episode i think i'm getting closer to letting me close the carport it's like by a little bit but i'm working on it um it will definitely make the wood different to work with too yeah because, uh, you know, that dry, cold air is going to zap all the moisture out of the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, that will make it interesting when it gets transported back inside uh, to be yeah. in, some, in someone's home, you know, where there is warmth and moisture and all of that going yeah, on. Yeah, that's the thing I worry about is the, the temperature differences between, like, working outside, having to account for humidity and heat, and then moving into somebody's home and the wood expanding and contracting and like, mm-hmm. how do you make room for that? And so it, it gives me more factors to have, that I have to consider that I wish I didn't have to consider if I were in a, a, a regulated, you know, mature right. yeah. regulated space. Um, so I haven't quite figured out the winter thing yet. I may, as much as I don't want to take a break from building because I love it, you know, it may get to the point that it's just not feasible out there. Um, but my next plan is to hopefully we've got some space in the yard. We got a massive backyard and, and tons of tons of room, and we've got a whole area of our yard that nobody ever uses, and it's completely flat. So I'd love to eventually put concrete down in that area, and then actually put a workshop, um, have a workshop built on that space, mm-hmm. and that be what I work out of so that it's. So from a temperature perspective, it's regulated. I've got room for all my tools and I can be completely insulated and covered year round. Right. Um, that's sort of like my long-term, how do I get that in the yard? Mm-hmm. Um, but for now it's the carport. Mm-hmm. And so pull all the tools out one by one, pull <laughs> up stands, set everything up, you know, clean it all up, put all the tools back. It's a process. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, 
Yeah, during the summer months, I tend to do, I tend to end up migrating from my shop, uh, my rented shop space back home so that I can kind of do more work in and out of the, the weekends and stuff too. And so then I usually end up like taking over the garage during those months. But then, you know, fall starts to come, winter starts to come. So it's like back out of the garage um, mm -hmm. and have to clean it all up and get it all <laughs> ready for cars again. Um, yeah, even though I have a rented garage space, it doesn't always stay in that, in that space. Yeah. Um, but what are the tools that you predominantly work with then? Um, so predominantly table saw I use on, on nearly every project. Um, I don't know how I went so long without it, but I just bought a planer. Mm. Um, before I was trying to like manually flatten wood and get things the same size, which was time consuming. Um, and like buying raw pieces and having to clean those up. I, I don't know what I was thinking, having bought a planer so many years later. Um, but predominantly, so table saw, planer. Um, I, I wish I could say I was, I was like a hand tool person, but I'm not much of like a hand tool, like, you know, chisel, mm -hmm. um, hand planing type. I, I typically like to use more of like the electric tools, um, things that can, because I'm, because I'm working by myself mm -hmm. um, and doing all, all of the business things and all of the building by myself, I like to use whatever can make my life easiest. Mm -hmm. Things go smooth, but um, i trying to think of what else I'm typically using. And then it's just like your basic like squares. I've got a lot of like random little things to help me square things up and mm -hmm. make sure that, um, make sure that like corners are tight and um and so uh those are sort of like my typical tools i've got like a little like small things to kind of help me shore things up and keep them stable so i can since i only have like two hands of myself right mm -hmm. how do i how do i do all work with these larger pieces and so i typically buy a lot of things that kind of kind of help me out and kind of adding extra hands so to speak okay uh, table saw is like my my go-to my table saw and then building jigs for that to be able to, to do some more, you know, complex cuts on the, on using the table saw. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still like mostly working with like live edge type stuff? I am, um, for the desks and like people ask me to build tables. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of, um, requests now for more like people wanting to build like entertainment consoles for their living room. Um, and they want it to be really clean and neat. In those cases, I'll, I'll buy like the raw wood, but I'll end up squaring it up and cleaning it up so that it, it's a neater mm -hmm. look. Um, but the live edge piece is definitely, if I'm going to, if somebody asks me to build them a desk, it's 99.9% .9 of the time, it's going to be a live edge piece. Um, just because that's the type of wood that I like to work with. And it's, for me, it's like, if you, if you had to, if I had to pick something that was like my signature style, it would be those live edge pieces that are then cleaned up and, and have like a lot of character and, and curves. Mm -hmm. And then like with your live edge pieces, are you still, do you like pairing it with like the, the metal bases, like the metal yeah. legs and stuff? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I just love the, the look of, of mm -hmm. pairing like wood and metal or steel together. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely my go-to for all of my pieces. All right. Um, What's on your like wish list for your next tool to get to buy? Oh, I actually just posted about this. It's a table saw. <laughs> yeah. It's the saw stop. Mm -hmm. A big, like beefy like mm -hmm. dollar table saw. Yeah. That's on my next. If I, if one, if I had the space for it, mm -hmm. um, and two, if I had $3,000. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but that and, uh, and a jointer, mm -hmm. um, I don't have, those are like, you know, I've got the planer, but I don't have the joiner. Um, mm -hmm. so having those two pieces, I think would, would help me to clean up some projects that I'm now doing a lot of manually by hand, mm -hmm. uh, but the table saw for sure. 
that'd be my next, like, if, if somebody was like, I'll buy you anything you want, I'd be like, I want that table saw. <laughs> so when, I mean, when you're talking, cause you said you don't do a lot with hand tools, but when you're talking manually by hand, cleaning these up, I mean, live edge slabs, usually I'm guessing you're dealing with like a 12 inch planer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, live inch slabs, a lot of times are wider than that 12 inches. So like, how yeah. are, how are you working to clean those up by hand? So that's I'm having to do by hand, like, you know, like I have like the chisel set and like, you know, mm -hmm. the files to be able to work that stuff down. Um, and that's how I'm doing. That's how I'm doing that. Yeah. I've got an electric planer that I can mm -hmm. use to kind, of, um, to kind of help get things level. And then I've been doing a lot of research on people that have created um, flattening jigs using their router. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking into how I can maybe use that in the absence of a, a larger planer that could take yeah. pieces. Um, and then sometimes I might take a larger piece and cut it down to whatever the smallest width I can is to fit the planer, get everything down to a nice uniform size and then join it back. Gotcha. Um, which is not ideal for me, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, that's like an extreme workaround if I really had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a big um, jack plane that I'll use on occasion, and that's what I was using to do a lot of, like, flattening. Mm -hmm. um, but then I finally built one of those um, basically large router um, planer beds that I just put on, like, one of my workbench tops. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up being a little... It's about like 26 inches wide and then like the four feet long because it takes mm -hmm. up the whole table and I can just take it off, unscrew it and, you know, move it off when I don't need it. But um, I, I, when I did it, I was like, what did I wait so freaking long for? Because, I mean, it still takes time, right? Because you're still, you have to like, you're still small passes back and forth across that whole thing. Um, yeah but not as much time as if I was using a hand plane to do it. That is for dang sure. It doesn't take that long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like days of sanding and, and, and planing and more sanding. And it just is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it was, it was hard for me to be able to price that stuff out because I'm like, how long should it take me? Right. If I had the right tools and how long is it actually taking me to do this manually? Um, and then, and then it became a challenge to price those things out because I'm like, well, it's going to take me three days to flatten this thing. Or if I just had the right tool, it would take me a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did find that having, you know, just taking the time to invest in some of those things would actually, I'd, I'd get the payback in the long run, mm -hmm. um, you know, a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about how how have you figured out your pricing and like, do you feel like you're in the right ballpark now or do you still feel like undercharging for your time? Um, I, I don't know. I struggle with that. Um, I, I'd say initially I was definitely undercharging, but I felt like such a new woodworker that it almost felt unfair to tell people like, this is what you must pay me for this when I was still trying to figure out some of those techniques myself. Mm -hmm. um, I feel more confident now, like in the pricing. I do think that I, I probably still suffer from that. Like, Oh, like, let me price myself a little bit lower because I don't want to price myself out of, <clears throat> out of business, you know, or are people that may have reached out to me for business. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, that's just 10 more dollars than I wanted to spend. Right. <laughs> you know, and so I still struggle with that a little bit today because you know, it's, it's a predominantly, you know, white male, you know, kind of uh, field. Mm -hmm. And so I always wonder, like, if I price myself a certain way, um, is somebody just going to say, well, if you're going to price, if you're going to charge me that, I'm just going to go to this other, you know, like white male, you know, woodworker who I kind of feel like would do it better anyway, because that's just, I think there's yeah. something there that, that, that's generally the type of people that would do that work and would have more experience. Um, so I think I'm still, I'm still working on it, still getting there. I, I feel good about where I'm at. Um, I actually recently just increased what my hourly rate is because I, I realized I was like, I'm really not making as much of a profit now as I think I should be considering, you know, like where I am and, and mm -hmm. my work. 
Um, and so I made some minor adjustments and luckily people were right there with me and were like, oh yeah, I totally get it. I still want you to do my project. Mm -hmm. um, so that made me feel good. Like I was, I was right within the ballpark and doing the right things. But I think it's one of those things that I'll always just kind of be stumbling through and trying to figure out mm -hmm. how, how my things fit in the market versus other, other people's. Um, and, you know, hopefully the right people, the right customers and clients for me will, will be the ones for me. So, so here's, here's the tricky question I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Should those of us who are not white and I'm going to put in heterosexual males, mm -hmm. should those of us who are not in that category be basing our pricing off of what a white heterosexual male would charge? I would say <laughs> tricky question. Um, <laughs> So, and, and, and so I, hopefully what I say won't like be offensive to anybody, but I, I think there are people that, that can walk into a room and be like, I'm going to charge you this because I think that's what I need to charge you. Whether or not I have that skill level, that's what I'm going to charge. Right. And, and in my experience working in like a government setting, yeah, yeah. Usually like a, it's usually like a white male who comes in and is mm -hmm. like, this is my value. Yeah. And like, <laughs> wow, you just said that so confidently, I believe you, even if it's not true. Right. <laughs> um, so from that perspective, like if I see what other people are charging, white heterosexual males are charging for some of the same work that I'm doing, then I look at that and I'm like, well, shit, like I could be charging that. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other hand, I think, well, I'm not going to right at the end of the day, I'm not competing against any other woodworkers or makers because I want all of us yeah, I want all of us to profit and win. Um, so I'm really only, I've got to price myself for what's right for me. Um, but I do like the idea of walking into a room and being like, this is why you need me. And this is what I charge. And this is what you're going to pay. Right. And then seeing what people say and be like, wow, I did not expect that from you. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, you kind of, you, you, you hit all of the, the points, I guess, I was going after with that question being that one, I feel like those of us who are not white heterosexual males tend to undervalue ourselves. Um, oh. And so perhaps what we should be doing is walking in with confidence and saying, this is what I charge, you know, yeah. and, and knowing that I'm worth that, that my time, that the amount, especially the amount of time we put into growing the skill set, right. Mm -hmm. um, that we're worth it and not being apologetic for it at all. So that's like the one kind of point there I was getting at about like basing it. And then the second being like, yes, we want everybody in this space to win. And so if we undervalue ourselves, like in the end, that undervalues the market overall. Like, yeah, absolutely. That makes people feel like, well, I'll just keep asking somebody until I get the lowest, cheapest price possible. Um, yeah. And so then we're all racing to the bottom instead of trying to like lift each other up to the top. Oh, yeah. You're, you're 100 you're 100 spot on and my wife actually she was like do you think about the wear and tear on your tools do you think about the time that it takes away from your family from mm -hmm. us think about this and i'm like well no i guess i i didn't really think of those things as as values mm -hmm. um, and she was like everything right everything you're doing means that you're sacrificing something else she's like so you have to determine what the value is of that sacrifice so if you're taking time away from the kids and, and the family and you're taking time and you're, you're wear and tear on your tools and you're using, like, what is your time worth to you? You know, and if you could be doing something else with your time, what would that be worth to you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And so it really made me reevaluate like what my value was or what I felt like my value was in, in a project. Um, and so that helped, that helped me a lot in terms of trying to figure out the right pricing Mm -hmm. And then even to this day, sometimes like I'll send a quote to somebody and I'll think, man, this is kind of high, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, what are they going to say? And every single time they're like, okay, great. You know, when do I turn in the deposit? <coughs> yep. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, 
but you know, but I, I want to get to a point in this where I'm not surprised, where I'm not feeling like, all right, I'm, I'm about to hit send on this. Like what happens if they, if they don't like it and it's too mm -hmm. high. Um, but it certainly helps when people come back and they're like, no, that's a fair, that's a fair value. And I'll pay that. Mm -hmm. I think it helps to, to provide that confidence and then do exactly what you said, which is increase the value so that we're all right. We're increasing the value of woodworking as a trade overall. Right. So that it's not just one person looking for like the next cheapest thing. And I tell people, if you want me to build you something for cheap, I'll build it for cheap. Right. But what you're going to get mm -hmm. is something that feels kind of cheap. It may not last for as long as you want it to. Right. Um, and so I always give out people the option. Like if you're, if you want something cheaper, I can do it, but here's what you get. Here's what you don't get as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And 10 times out of 10, they're like, no, don't worry about it. Right. Like let's build this the right way. Yeah. I mean, there's, I've definitely gotten some no's because of my pricing. Um, and, and usually when that happens, like, you know, when they come back and say, no, we can't, like, can you go any lower? All I do is like lay it out and let them know, like, this is what it is. This is my time. This is my labor. This is materials, you know, cause even most of the time I have found that most people want things basically for the price of materials. And I'm like, if you want things for the price of materials, then you learn how to build it your damn self. Cause I'm not going to be making it for you. <laughs> um, because that's it. It's like in this DIY world, sure, you can get things for the price of materials if you do it yourself. That is what <laughs> DIY stands for. Yeah, I've got, I've got people ask like, well, if I buy the materials, you know, like, oh yeah, and I'm like, not necessarily, no, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. I still have to build it. And if you go out and you buy materials that you like, and then there are things that are to make it difficult for me to work with, now that's more time for me to build it. Right. Because it's not really going to cost you any less money. Nope. <laughs> um, and so they're like, oh, okay. Right. And like, that's the thing people want, like, how cheap can you build this? And I'm like, oh, right. I can build it for cheap. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I had, I, I got by with like, I, I did the live edge and, and steel base um, desk for some, for a client once. Um, and the way I worked around it, because they gawked at the price originally. So I'll tell you what you can buy the slab. I'm going with you to buy it so yeah. that I can like guide you through like, you know, that's a decent one. That's not, you know, that type of thing. And so we went on a field trip, which they really got a kick out of going to the lumber yard and picking out the slab, but they spent, they ended up buying a slab three times pricier than what I would have bought wow. for their project. But they still, I mean, it was at first like one of those, like, Oh, oh, like, this is really expensive. Like, yes, a very good slab, live edge slab, you know, the species you're looking for is at a minimum $400. That's, I don't know what else I can tell you about that. That's what that is. And a solid steel base, that's like, you know, $250. I don't know what to tell you, you know? Um, and so it really opened their eyes and was like an education type thing for them um and so sometimes i like to do that too just to be like you can buy the materials but i'm coming with you yeah. <laughs> and and i'm gonna make sure that you pick out stuff that i'm willing to do the work with i've also had people offer to help me build they're like well if i help you you know can you like knock a little bit off the price because now you got labor and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> One, I'm not going to let you build with me because these are my tools. Mm -hmm. They're very expensive. I value them and I don't want any of them damaged. Two, I don't want to have to teach you how to use them right. and then and, and be in a position where you now injured yourself on something on my tools, on my property, because mm -hmm. you like, couldn't figure out the difference between a drill and an impact driver, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're not going to do that. Um, but I've had people be like, oh, well, if I help you... <laughs> that cut down on labor. And I'm like, no, I would still would have had to spend the same amount of time <laughs> right. working on it, whether you needed me the screws or whether I picked up the screw myself and right. did it. <laughs> so since you, I mean, you kind of talked, we were talking about the pricing and mm -hmm. you know, what, what, 
you look like in the space versus what maybe people assume somebody looks like in the space. Mm-hmm. Have you had anyone outright be surprised by you showing up with the delivery of a piece versus, you know, some old white guy showing up with the delivery of a piece? <laughs> um, so I've had not not like the delivery so typically by that point they know yeah. they know what i look like but i have had people who like maybe didn't scroll away from my instagram reach out to me and then i'll you know I'll start to message them back and forth and then they'll really like, they'll be like oh you're a woman i'm like yeah i'm like i understand lauren can be like both male female mm-hmm. you know, or non-gendered but like yeah definitely you know woman black mm-hmm. Um, so surprised then, and then I think the most surprises I get actually are when I'm actually out buying material Mm. and somebody will be like, Oh, like, do you need some help here? Like, do you know what this is? Do you know? And I'm like, yeah, it's wood. (laughs) (laughs) Want to make sure that you knew that this was wood. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, or they'll be like, Oh, you know, what do you plan on, uh, making at your house? And I'm like, oh, I'm actually making a dining room table for a client. And, and then they're immediately like, oh, like for fun? And I'm like, no, they're paying me to make them a dining room table. And so I'm buying wood, which you explained <laughs> to me that's what that was. <laughs> um, so that's where I think I get the most surprises is people like seeing me shopping and like I've got my list and I've got my, I've got my uh, uh, what is it, my tape measure. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm in the store and I'm measuring things, right? And I'm like looking at wood, right? And they're like, oh, like, what are you making at home? That's cute. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this again today. Um, so that's where I get the most. Or like people are like, I'll be out in the parking lot loading the car up and a, a gentleman will walk up and be like, oh, do you need help carrying that? You know, you know, these are heavy and you, you should put it this way in the car so that you don't damage the seats. And I'm like, I promise you, I've carried more projects, wood materials in this car than you probably have like in your house. Like just, mm-hmm. I've, I've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I find, that's where I encounter it most is out in public when I'm buying materials mm-hmm. and having people just be completely surprised at why I'm buying materials and what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you faced any, um, or I guess what's your experience like in the maker community? on Instagram? Um, so generally it's been really, really opening and welcome. Um, I, I do wonder if, like I do sort of look at the the female um, makers that I follow and I look at their comments and they're the ones who, who have a large following, you know, mm-hmm. over a hundred thousand, hundred thousand plus followers. And it's interesting because like at me, at my little like 520 followers, Right. I generally get people being like, nice job, like good work. This is awesome. But I do notice that those other female makers, as they gain more followers, they gain more people, typically male, uh, white male, who are like, I would have done it this way. Or maybe you could have tried this. Or, you know, I don't really like this video. I would have preferred that you had done this thing. Um, And so while I haven't personally experienced it, Mm -hmm. I do wonder if, you know, as I progress in my career and as, you know, if I gain more of a following, if that would change, mm-hmm. and, you know, because statistically now there's more of a chance that you get those people mm-hmm. coming in and sending you messages and making comments like that or making you feel like you don't belong in this space. Right. Um, but so far it's just been really welcoming. Um, yeah. And even reaching out to other makers and just how responsive they are um, and answering questions and just kind of having dialogue. It has been really awesome so far. Um, And I hope it continues. I hope it continues that way, but you know, Mm -hmm. as time goes on, there's always going to be those people that are, that maybe don't believe in you. (laughs) And I like doing the work that I do to continue to show them why they should. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Yeah. I would say predominantly you get you get worse comments on YouTube versus on Instagram. Oh yeah, the YouTube and, one is terrible. Yeah. And then on Instagram, 
like you said, you know, with the bigger accounts, they still tend to be more like, well, you know, you maybe you should have done it this way versus that way mm -hmm. uh, versus outright like personal attacks. It's still not like generally um, and versus YouTube. YouTube is just crazy comments, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those ones on YouTube and I'm like, yeah. you really typed that. Yeah. The real name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <Okay. laughs> yep. Um, and then I would even go as far as to say, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily, but I would go as far as to say, usually the people who are trying to, I'm going to call it mansplain what you should have done, um, are not part of the maker community. Mm -hmm. I would say most of them aren't. Um, because most of the maker community has respect for just the fact that like, well, you tried that thing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they don't care how you tried it. You tried it. And, and, I, and I love that the maker community doesn't even like, so it's like, I built a table, you built a table, somebody else built a table, right? There's no like, oh, well, I built tables, right? You should go build shelves. Right. No, oh, that's, that's an awesome table, right? right. And, <laughs> and the maker community is just so supportive. And you're it's absolutely the people outside of it that mm -hmm. are you the ones making those comments and not yep. the actual maker community themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Lauren, we're at the end of our time together. So I'm going to give you a chance to shout out <laughs> where everyone can follow you along at. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at uh, Rasp File Designs. That's R-A-S-P-D-E. Oh, my goodness. R-A-S-P-F-I-L-E. <laughs> all one word. Um, and so I typically post on there a lot, things I'm working on, stories. Um, and then if you, once you find me on Instagram, you can find me on, on my actual website on, which is through Squarespace. Um, and then from there, you can find me through Etsy and sort of all the other accounts. But Instagram is, is really my primary way of, uh, of communicating and kind of showing people what I'm working on. So awesome. uh, yeah, if anybody looking for me, that's where to find me. If you're not looking for me, that's where to avoid me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's been a pleasure talking to you and yeah talking about you know what we do and this is awesome yeah absolutely thank you all right again that was lauren of rasp and file designs um, my website is still currently kind of under construction so in the meantime though i am including the links on how you can follow along with all these awesome makers right in the description of the episode so you should be able to get to them just clicking on the links, whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to your podcast, you should be able to hit those links and follow along with these fabulous makers. All right, if you are enjoying the podcast and you would like to help support it, there's a few things you could do. Uh, one way you can do it, which is super easy and costs you nothing at all, is to make sure that whatever app you are listening to your podcast on, that you hit that subscribe button. And then if you can head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review as well as um, just share about the podcast to your friends, family, uh, uncles, twice removed, whoever. And, um, and then also follow Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram. That's just at Maker Mom Podcast. So all of that really does help uh, get more traction for the podcast, help more people find it. Um, and it is super appreciated. And trust me, I notice when you do it and I really do appreciate it. Now, if you are wanting to take your support of the podcast a little bit further, once you head on over to patreon.com forward slash maker mom podcast and join the tribe over there. So there is a one, three and $5 tier levels that come with uh, different merchandise depending on the tier that you select, but you're a part of the tribe and you get access to any of the extra goodies, which includes this Sunday, um, October 4th at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, I will be interviewing Britt and Shannon of Britt Builds, and we will be doing it on Zoom, and all of 
patrons, you have to be a patron to do this, but you will have and have already received a link so you can join in on that interview and uh, participate in it live as it would be via Zoom. Uh, the rest of you will get to hear that episode also, but you have to wait. So if you want to participate in the first ever live podcast interview for the Maker Mom podcast, then make sure you head on over to Patreon and uh, become a patron. There is also a $30 tier level that's fairly new and it is super limited. That makes you an official sponsor of the podcast and gives you your very own ad spot somewhere during the podcast episode, but those spots are limited. So if that's something you think you might be interested in, please make sure you go check it out sooner rather than later. And lastly, you can just simply get a Maker Mom podcast t-shirt. And since my website's currently uh, not up and running, just shoot me a direct message or an email at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram or freemanfurnishings at gmail.com and let me know that you want a t-shirt and I will make that happen. All right, so when I'm not interviewing and hosting a podcast, I am designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes at freemanfurnishings.com and at freemanfurnishings across all the social media, uh, especially TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Those are the places that I am most active. And so you can check that out. I also do have things on like Instructable, so some tutorial work as well, if that's something you want to check out. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. It's Friday. It's the weekend. It's the first weekend in October. I don't know about you all, but in my household, we are getting super excited about Halloween. I think, uh, this COVID pandemic has had us locked up too long and we are just ready to have a party. Even if that means we are having our own Halloween party with nobody else, we are going to do it up. That is for sure. All right. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy and get into your garages and make something this weekend. All right. Until next week. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know.